Hello and welcome to another episode of Liberty Music PR's podcast. If you have any questions or things you'd like to share with us, please don't hesitate to DM us on any of our social media channels at Liberty Music PR. Okay, all right, we'll get going. So um, really excited about today's podcast guest. I know that we've certainly been speaking on through Instagram probably for about a year and I, I've definitely been following your the success of your career over the last few years. Um, very, very lucky to have Carl Hitchborn with us. Hi, Carl. Hello, B. Thank you for having me. No problem. Um, our pleasure. Where, where are you right now? So you're you don't live in the UK, do you? No, I'm I'm in sunny California. Um, I'm living just uh, northwest of Los Angeles. So we're about twenty five minutes from downtown where we are. That's it's wonderful. We've been here for two years. Right. Okay. And so, what was? How did you? How did you get yourself there? Was that? Was that something you'd always wanted to do? Or was it work that brought you there? Um, it was kind of a, an interesting story. Um, mm. You know, I've got a very big vision, and and it was a, a meeting with Leo Cohen. Actually, he said to me, "If you if you really want to, I do believe you can make this become a reality. But if you really want to make it happen, you you need to be in the United States. You can't be in the United Kingdom. It's it's not something you can do remotely, and you need to conquer the United States. So you need to you need to be out here. And so that was in 2016. And so I said to my wife, I said like, hey, this is what Leo has said to me, and I I believe that, that that's true. So we need to make a plan. And so <laughs> did you go? You're crazy, or was she like, yeah, let's do it? She she um. She wasn't expecting it, um, and but I'm very lucky. She's always backed me uh, on everything I've ever done. So she, she was like, "Okay, well, I I need to go and see. I need to go out there first and and, and check it yeah. out." So we went to New York and we went to Los Angeles, and we decided that Los Angeles had the vibe that we wanted to experience. So yeah, yeah. We, we we came here in 2018, um, myself and our two kids and my wife, and we we love it here. I can imagine. I can imagine you've got a very nice life um, there. Congratulations for, you know, living the dream. I think there's lots of people that have these aspirations. I'm definitely one of them. Wherever I go somewhere, I'm like, right, that's it. I'm moving here. Um, and then there's just too many tangles that, that root me back to where I currently am. You know, the guy, it definitely requires being bold. You know, it, mm. it, it's and especially the circumstances of arriving here were not the best. We were you know, we'll get maybe into this further, but I, I had just had an email from a lawyer um, from the Hunter saying that they no longer wanted to be in the deal that we had with them. And so the plans that I had coming here were very different when I arrived because we, we planned yeah. to start to build out here and start to get things happening. And so when we arrived, I was like, I need to figure out what I'm gonna do. And, and so it was a, an interesting time and very disruptive, but, you know, we took the, the decision to we had our visas in place we took the decision just to take the leap of faith and we yeah. we all packed two suitcases each and we flew here at the end of 2018 and it's been it's been an incredible couple of years it's been yeah. amazing yeah I can imagine and uh having sort of all year round sunshine must uh no, it's wonderful yeah it's glorious it's um yeah I mean look, I've never been a fan of the the cold so mm. coming here it's it's difficult to describe how incredible it is to just have that consistency of the, the sun and mm -hmm. you know it's like the same day every day almost most of the time and mm. you know I think it's rained like 
four times in the last three or four months. So it's an incredible lifestyle out here, great, mm. a great place to be. Mm. Um, and, you know, really it's just a, a very creative place. Los Angeles, you know, United States, you know, as you said, the American dream, but Los Angeles is very much a place where people come to make it. And, yeah. and it's, you know, in, in, all, in all fields, you know, but very much on the, on the arts and creative side of things. It's like, this is a very creative city. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I know that really well. And, uh, but also I think it can be um, very competitive. I think people definitely go to LA expecting that that move alone will, will, will set them up. But I, I think you've got to, there's so much more to do, isn't there, when you, what, besides just living there? Yeah, you know, like my, I kind of, I kind of keep away from all of the traditional industry and mm. I tend to, avoid that stuff so for me it's like it's more about being in a being in an environment that is inspiring and and being in a location where there is there is an abundance of ambition you know and so uh, this is a place where there are there are great connections to be had and often it's about timing but there are also there's a lot of things that are not so good about being here as well so you have to just try and avoid those things like of anywhere um but yeah it's a it's a great it's a great place to be very lucky. Um, so for those, those that don't know, can you just take us through, walk us through your, your career history? Where, where did it all begin for you to be in the, sort of deeply rooted in the music industry? Because I actually read through my notes that you were originally a baker. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I, got, I got involved in the music industry just over probably 11 years ago now, just over 11 yeah. years um, And I had um, a bakery business that I was involved in with my family and it had been um it'd been like a period of growing that business um we went from <clears throat> one shop with just a handful of staff to multiple shops wholesale business um we had sandwich vans and all of these things as well and we had over 50 people on our team and it was kind of really growing but I was often in conflict with the family the family were kind of like we're really happy with what we have why do you always have to want more and and you know You've got a lot of money coming in you've got a nice house you've got all of the things that why can't you just be happy with that and i was like well because i'm not the money doesn't motivate me it's not about the money it's about making an impact and i, and I want to constantly be improving and so yeah. if i can't do that I'm, I'm not feeling like i'm able to fulfill my potential so mm. i said to my wife i said look i need i need to find a way of becoming global and i need to find a way of making a, a global impact i really believe i can mm. and so i said to her the mu yeah, music connects with everyone on earth. And so if I can make a wave in the music industry, then maybe I can achieve my ambitions. And so that was it. And I, I didn't know anyone in the music industry or anything about the music industry. And wow. <laughs> and this, you know, I was I was living in Norwich and 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 I literally just decided that this is what I was gonna do. And and I started to reach out to people, producers and and promoters and different people in the industry and just said, like, look, um, I have a small amount of capital. I'm looking to get involved in the music industry. I want to set up a music, some type of music company. I'm not sure exactly how what it's going to be, but I would like to connect with you. And so I started to have meetings with people in London. I used to get in the car and drive down to, to London and just connect with people. And did you get lots of sort of doors closed initially? Because they were like, well, who are you? And because it's a lot about that initially, isn't it, in the business? Or were they quite receptive? Yeah, I kind of just 
you know, went, went with the leads that I had and kind of connected with the people that were willing to have a meeting. And so yeah. it, it was kind of um, very much of just learning as much as I could about the industry. And, and very quickly, I, there were a lot of things that I didn't, didn't make any sense to me in, in the way that the industry was structured. And so um, I kind of, I just spent a lot of time analyzing and learning about the way things were. And, and, and I was lucky that I connected with um, a producer and songwriter called Villa Lepinen, who's the animal farm. And he, he said, you know, he liked what, he liked the way I was talking. He said that I'd be very happy for you to, I'll be very happy to tell you everything about the music industry. And, you know, maybe we can find a way of working together at some point. Um, but if you want to, you know, come here and spend some time at my studio and, and learn about what's going on, then I'll, you're very welcome. So that's what I did. I spent six months or so going back and forth once per week, learning about everything that's going on. And I would just literally ask him questions and, and pick his brain on, on what's going on in the industry. And, and, and so I learned a lot from that, that, that process. And, and as I said, there's a lot of things that didn't make sense to me very quickly. I was like, this, this doesn't make sense. And so going in deep and diving into what was going on in the industry, um, from the very beginning, I was like, I don't, I don't want to operate this way. I want to try and find a new way. And, and so that's been my mission really ever since. Yeah. So you'd almost spotted a gap, I guess, as such, and thought that's kind of where I want to go, where I want to be. What, and what is that gap? Can you explain it to us? What, what did you, where, where was the potential that you saw that you could add value? Um, I, I think that the, the biggest issue in the traditional industry, in fact, just generally in the industry, is the, the fact that it's so fragmented. You've got so many different players and parties involved in not so much being involved in the artist's business, but being mm. involved in the um, dividing of the rights to different parties. So you end up in a situation where you have so many voices and so many people that have an opinion and also different agendas on different rights. So you end up in a position where you have to accept plan C or D rather than plan A because you have to compromise on, on things that you really shouldn't be. And so, um, and it, yeah, there's also the fact that um, because there's that division of the, the different ranks, everyone is taking their chunk of um, commissions and taking their, their cut in the early days from day one, you know? And, and so instead of having a situation where the artist is able to as the money comes in, start be able to reinvest into further growth. Like as as you would with any startup normally, mm. um, with artists' businesses, they're getting they're getting the money taken out from day one in commissions and mm. and different fees and different things that come to them in the early stages. And that that for me was didn't make any sense at all because it kind of goes against basic principles of when you've got a startup business, you you need to re remain. Um, in a position where you have capital to reinvest back in and grow. Yeah. And so that was a big thing for me, the fact that it was so fragmented. And then also the way that the way that the the, the labels structure their deals um, from the point of view of um, throwing mud at the wall and hoping that some of them are going to stick and then and then having mm -hmm. projects that are stocking contracts that they can't get out of and 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 believing that they've made it when the reality is that they're so far from making it from doing that deal, but they get stuck. Yeah. And, yeah. and so just, just seeing the, the turmoil of the entire industry and also, you know, going back a decade, it's an interesting time. It was like 
the transition, you know, Spotify was very new, streaming was very new. You know, everyone was hating on Spotify. It was like, I remember talking to people, I remember discovering Spotify and thinking like, wow, this is incredible. Like you can listen to any mm. song at mm. any time from, from, from um, any era, it's, it's incredible. You can listen to a whole, every song in the world could be available on this platform. You can listen whenever you want to. And I was just thinking, yeah. well, this is such an incredible consumer offering. Mm. But the industry was like anti-Spotify. Um, yeah. And so it, there, it was kind of that transition between iTunes was kind of the place where people were making money, but it was not where it was back in the early 2000s, late mm. 90s. And so there was a lot of, there was definitely a lot of negativity just generally in the industry because it was year on year decline. Every year it was like going down. The, the market the market size of the industry was declining. So it was, there was a lot of negativity, but I just saw huge opportunities around streaming, around um, social media, and the fact that you, as an artist, you could connect with an audience directly and you can build a relationship in a way you never could. And, and then streaming made music very accessible. And, and so I think it was a, the opportunities were, I mean, for me, there's just endless opportunities, but the mm. big opportunity for me is to, was to look at it from the point of view of trying to avoid, there's a lot of resistance within the industry in terms of, like I said, there's, it's so fragmented that there's so many voices and so many decision makers that it takes a long time to get things done. And yeah, we're, in a world, we're, in a, we're in a world that's very dynamic and, mm-hmm. and very much, um, and very fast pace, mm. and so the industry, the traditional industry, isn't, and so it's not, it's not a very, um, it's not very much aligned to the way that the world is today. Mm. I think you're right. So, well, certainly some of these major labels, I think they're, they're, they're just, sort of giant whales that take a very long time to be able to adapt to changes quickly, and they're not very agile. Um, yeah. So, talk to us about. So, obviously, you're one of the, the projects I know you for, and I think a lot of the other people will be will do, um, is the band The Hunter. Um, so talk us through that relationship, how you came to, was it you, you were managing those guys? How did that all come about and what happened there? Um, well, kind of moving back a step, um, I worked with a band called Coast originally. That was, they were the first bands that I worked with and I, I developed that project. And yeah, I know Coast well, yeah. Yeah, and so we we when when I got involved in the music industry, I, I said to, to Coast, I said, like, I'm, I'm not exactly sure exactly how the model needs to be for the way that um, the way that it should be yet. I'm still figuring it out, but I know that I now want to avoid the traditional system as much as possible. And so, yeah, with Coast, we really built in a very kind of social-led way, and we built relationships directly with the audience. But they were still in a traditional mindset themselves, so it was kind of more difficult to get to the position that I really felt we could, but we still, we still managed to get to the roundhouse um, pretty fast. And, and we ended up, we ended up in a situation where I kind of, when we released Oceans, which was the beginning of 2013, it, it blew up and we had every, every A&R from, from every label pretty much coming at us from all over the world. And, wow. and that was our first, that was my first actual release. And so, um, I knew I was onto, you know, a way of getting things happening at that point. And, and with Coast, you know, I, I said to them, look, my my belief is that if you don't have if you don't have amazing songs, if you don't have songs that people are going to connect with, then there's no point in doing anything. So the first thing you must do is go and work on getting more songs. And so yeah. that was the 
the foundation to getting things happen um, with them. And so we, I kind of, it was literally like we released the first song and, and I've been working with them for a year or so in development, but we released the first song and it started to blow up. And I said to them, look, I'll, I'll go and meet all of these people, but you know, I'm very wary of doing any deal with a major label because I'm, I'm, mm. I don't like the way that it is. I don't like the way that the structure is and I don't like the way that um, the labels run their business. And so... Mm. And were they quite, I mean, as does any artist and band, maybe not so much now, but certainly five, ten years ago, they were, everyone was very intent on getting a major deal, weren't they? Yes. Um, yeah, they, they didn't believe that it was possible without being on a major label. And so I... I had all of the meetings and I said to them, I said, look, um, I'm meeting people that I know that they could be here today and gone tomorrow and, and we're just getting going. Um, we have yeah. not, we have, we've got a whole bunch of new music that's coming and we've not, we've not really started yet. So can we just like wait? And I said that, how about if we do, a, do an agreement here that if we can get the major label chairmans coming knocking on our door, then we're gonna, then I'll sit down and I'll talk about doing a deal with them. Yeah. And so, Within um, a year from then, we I met I met Christian Satterfield. He was he was still the chairman of Warner, and I I agreed to do your publishing deal with him with Good Soldier. And by the end of 2014, um, beginning of 2014, things were really starting to happen in that respect as well. That we had the chairman of the major labels coming at us, and so I ended up sitting down with with Max Lusada at Warner, and I agreed to a license deal. With, with Warner um, and we did a license deal with Capital in the US. And, you know, my logic was like, I had the former chairman of Warner in one in one side and, and I had the current chairman on the other. And and so if, if it was gonna work, having those people in the team would, would help. However, yeah. Yeah. The, the reality of going into the system was, was not, well, I knew it would be painful, but it was even more painful than I imagined it would be. And so, um, I kind of, we went for the situation where every single, every single time we release music, we have more fans, we have more momentum, it was growing. Yeah. And we were doing it on a limited budget independently, we were reinvesting our income back in, um, we were really, and we were very um, much direct to fan and, and building relationships and, and growing the audience. And so when we started working with Warner, it was, it was the beginning of 2015 and, and it was kind of, a real shock at the, I remember the first meeting, there was a lot of people around the table. This was like a priority project, you know, Max was involved. Mm. And it, it, it was like, everyone was talking about what they were gonna do. And, and, and I was like, okay, let's see what happens. And then the next thing was that nearly everything that they said they would do, they didn't do. And so, and then, and then also there was conflict between the fact that I was like, look, we've, we've been really successful already. Can we not just, You've got the capital. Can we not just add more gasoline to the fire here? Yeah. But they were like, "Well, that's you know the way that you operate is not how we operate, and this is what we do, and and we we're not flexible to adjust." And I was just like, "Wow, this is I've made a huge mistake here." Um, right. And so it was very painful because you know I really believe in coast. We put a lot of work in over a long period of time, and we got a lot happening. But I knew that I knew that things were not gonna, because it was, especially then as well, it was all about radio. And if you didn't get radio, it was kind of like, they didn't really know what to do. Um, and so we managed to get radio in the end, but they also spent a lot of money on, they wasted a lot of money on crazy videos that were not very good and spending you know huge, huge money 
and ended up in a situation where they ran out of budget. And so they were like, wow. well, we were about to get ADIS at Radio One and, and they decided that they'd, they'd overspent on the budget. And so the, the, the bean counters basically said, we're not, we can't spend any more money on this. We have to stop. And so all of, the, all of the team that was in place, most of them were independent. They all got, they all got cancels. And so we didn't have any, any more promotion to radio or any of that stuff going on. And oh. so, that, so it was very frustrating, but at the same time, I, I, I've been developing the Hunter to get back to the original question. Um, yeah. I've been developing the Hunter um, behind closed doors, getting everything organized with them and, you know, really had them focused on their craft of getting the songs. And so I, I was really like, not happy about what was going on with, with coasts. And, and, and so my, my objective was to avo avoid the traditional system as much as I could. And, yeah. and so the model, so at this point, I really had an idea of how I felt the model should be. And so in this, with the Hunter, the, the agreement with them was that we were operating under all the revenue streams. So we were controlling the masters, the publishing, we were operating as the management, we were running the, sh the live shows ourselves, we were hiring venues, yeah. we, were, um, we were running all everything ourselves. We, did, we didn't use anyone in the traditional industry, basically. And so wow. we, we, um, I got our plan together and at the, at the end of 2015, mm. we were ready to launch. And so I was like, I was gonna show Warner how, how to do this, you know, how it can be done. Okay. And so it was, uh, it was pretty crazy, really. We went, we went from, we, we put out the first song and we, and we blew things up through social media, um, running Facebook ads and Instagram ads into a very, a very specific audience. And, and the objective was to really build a relationship with the, with the audience and have, have the band really connect with them in a way that they felt so, so connected that they really wanted to consume everything, every piece of content. They wanted to buy merchandise, they wanted to come to shows. How so, did you do that then? How did you create that personal connection between the fan and the band? We were very considered in our creating up a brand DNA for the project before we even released any music. So we really, we really thought about the the way of presenting the band to the audience, and then also, we, in an authentic way, where the, where the audience would feel that this is real, and yeah. also in kind of really overextending on creating connection. So really pushing into. DMs and, and really building a relationship through DMs and, and really being very aggressive with replying to everyone and and not just not just like sending like an emoji face, but actually sending a a deep reply that encourages them to come back and, and build a relationship. So we did that at, at scale and we did that aggressively. Mm. And it was very, very effective because the fans really felt very, very connected with the band. And we at the beginning we had there was four of them in the band, so we had them all in the trenches replying to all of these DMs that were coming in. And so the encouragement was to get to get the audience to send a DM and start to build that relationship. And so, you know, at, at, at points there was thousands of DMs that were coming in and, and they were replying to them. And, and so it worked really well. And so as we started to scale, we would, we continued with that approach. And, and it was very, um, you know, our approach with seeding the audience was, around targeting in specific locations, specific cities, even down to targeting kids that went to the same schools so that they could actually 
So when, as you build a relationship with some of them, they start to talk and it would start to spread through the schools and start to create a lot of momentum. And so wow. that's what we did. And, and we went, you know, within two weeks of releasing the music, we put Boston Music Rooms on sale in London and it sold out instantly. And then we, we ended up selling three of them um, back to back um, in March 2016. And so, so this was the end of 2015. We'd already sold, within, within a month of putting out the first song, we'd sold 750 tickets in London. And, um, Which is huge. I, I mean, anyone would know, you know, selling tickets is hard enough, but that's just such an achievement. So yeah, well, well done. And, and, it, and it's kind of, you know, there wasn't a, before we released the first music, there wasn't a single fan. We were starting at zero. So it was, it was, it was even more impressive because there wasn't, it wasn't like they'd been doing their thing for, for several years. And, and then we did this campaign. It was like, we were starting at zero. There was yeah. no, um, and so, but the thing was like, I had this plan. And so before we even launched the Hunter, I was talking to people about, how we're going to get to Brixton Academy within two years and, and, and how we were going to do all this, this stuff. And people just said I was insane and that that's not, <laughs> possible. That's not possible. Alternative rock's not, not easy to, 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 to actually build an artist. And to get to Brixton in, in, in two years from zero, that's not possible. Um, and so, um, but I said, like, this is our plan. You know, we're going to, we're going to do 250 tickets, and then we're going to do 500, and then we're going to do 1,000, and then 2,000, and then we'll be getting towards Brixton, you know? And so, um, we had a kind of we had a a pretty tight plan on what we were going to do, and so when we saw when we saw Boston Music Greens, we had Electric Boring ready to go on sale. So once once they played those shows, we 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 went live with Boston with um, Electric Boring, and then we sold that show instantly, eleven hundred tickets straight out of the gate uh, after those shows. And so we went for so it was it was March two thousand sixteen, and then in June two thousand sixteen they played. Electric Boring sold out, and then, and then we released their debut album. We managed to get thirteen in the UK album chart from out of the blocks, and did sold five thousand records. And and then and then we sold the forum um, at the end of two thousand sixteen. So we went from we went from zero to selling the forum in less than one year from releasing their first music. Um, and so the trajectory is there. The trajectory is there. Mm. We're also selling tickets in. Um, in Europe as well as United States, so we were we were building these audiences all over the world, and the same the same um, methods was working everywhere. It didn't matter if it was in Germany or in France or or yes. Holland or you know over here in the US. It was it was working everywhere because it's based on just basic principles of how to build a relationship. Yeah. And so it was super effective, and, and we we by by the middle of two thousand seventeen we. We were ready to put we were ready to put bricks on sale, and so we we put bricks on sale in June 2017, and <clears throat> for January 2018, and we ended up selling it really fast. So I said, look, let's let's, let's get a second one up. So we ended up selling that as well. So <clears throat> um, the actual selling of it was less than two years to sell 10,000 tickets in London, um, and and so also along the way we were generating a lot of streams. You know, we were we did like 150 million streams on Spotify in the first 18 months across their catalog and mm. and across all of the tickets that we did we sold 85,000 tickets across the UK and we also were running these shows ourselves we were selling the tickets ourselves we were hiring the venues we hired Brixton we hired Manchester Apollo we sold two Manchester Apollos as well and so all of this time was very underground as well from a traditional industry perspective because we didn't 
we didn't we didn't really go to radio until the forum when the forum happened radio one would just they sent an army of people down to the forum because it was it was impressive you know we had a yeah. we had an album we had our album in the uk chart in august without any radio and and not much else going on other than this building this tribe of super fans and so mm. when it came to radio they were like when they came to that show and they saw every fan singing every word of every song they, they really had to make a move because yeah they were behind the curve really mm. so we we got at that point we got playlisted and, and from there every single was playlisted at radio one and and it was very um i remember yeah very easy at that point to get the exposure at radio one but it was not um it was not the core strategy. The core strategy was all about direct to consumer building relationships and and creating a base that would really become part of the machine of spreading the news and and creating that momentum. You know, I'm a very big believer in creating stories and and building building momentum to the point where people they really want to be involved. You know, momentum is very powerful. Mm. So it was it was great. It was a, you know it was a it was a um, a crazy time but mm. we did we did stuff that was incredible and look we we had the goal was to be in arenas by 2018 we were set we were set to do that we were mm. about to do alexander palace we had o2 on hold for 2019 wow um, and then it all came crashing down at the end of 2018 so it's it was an incredible journey mm. and um, when you say crashing down i mean can you elaborate is it a bit sensitive and personal um well, you know, I at the, at the beginning of two thousand and eighteen, I I know Tim Ingham from Music Business Worldwide. Well, he lived in Hitchin, where I was living as well. He was he was just up the road from me, and he was trying to get me to do an interview for some time because he knew I was doing some good stuff. Mm. And, and I said to him, "Look, at the right time, I'll definitely do mm. the interview, and it'll be it'll be like the most engaged content you've ever had because it's going to be controversial." Yeah. So, so I, you know, I did the interview in March two thousand eighteen, and. With the headliner, I realized that no one in the music business knows what they're doing. And so that created a lot of controversy. Controversy it went viral and I made a lot of friends, but I also had a lot of people who were like, you know, who does this guy think he is saying that we don't know what we're doing? And so there's lots of traditionalists, lawyers, managers, mm. um, promoters, agents that really didn't like what I was doing because it's it's very disruptive, you know, it's kind of like cutting all of them out of the loop. And and showing a new way and they didn't like that very much so from that point onwards though there was a number of people trying to turn the band's heads and it got to a point where just out of the blue we didn't really have any disputes in the whole time that we were working together not not anything outside of the normal realms of doing what you do and and and, and disputes that would happen but out of the blue i had an email it was october the third 2018 the band aren't happy they want to get out of their contracts um mm -hmm. The next thing, myself, my entire team were removed from social media. Um, I was blocked from calling them. Um, I, the shows that we were about to do, a lot of shows, Alexander Palace, many other shows that we'd pay deposits down, non-refundable deposits. They canceled all the shows. Like it just, it was just like a take. It was like literally a, a takedown. Like people were trying to, there was powers that be trying to stop me from making this happen. And so it was a, there's a lot of stuff that happened that was just pretty dark, you know? And, and so it was an interesting time. And as I said, it was like, we just got our visas to come to the US. And so that was three weeks before we were due to leave. 
And, oh my like, goodness. So it was a it was a an interesting moment and yeah that must have been that must have felt pretty uh, devastating for you um to to because because I guess they're they're almost like family aren't they that the band and you've gone on such a journey together to for it to, to be so final and quite bitter as well yeah. um that must have been crushing yeah you know it'd been like I've been working with them for nearly five years at that point mm. and mm. it was it was um you know, like I've, throughout my life, I've always, I've always been, um, you know, kind of flipping the, flipping the obstacle into a positive, and so and, and turning negatives into positives. And so, you know, I had a huge ambition with this project. Our goal was to be in arenas within five years globally of launching, and and we were on course to do that. And and then I was going to say like, hey, everyone, I did all of this, mm. I did it outside of the system, and. And this is how you can do it. This is how you can do yeah. it. Um, Amazing, so, yeah. Um, so there was a uh, look. This, this, I've got, I've got no animosity to, towards these guys. They, they, they had their heads turned. They didn't fully really understand mm. what happened to get them to where they were, and and the fact that they didn't understand meant that they were easily turned. And ultimately, you know, they've had to suffer through that because they haven't been able to replicate what, what we did and they haven't been able to keep that momentum. I've and noticed that, yeah. Obviously, obviously we're in a pandemic, but the, they lost their momentum instantly when this happened. And so it was, I always knew that it'd be difficult. I, I knew the things that we were doing were, there wasn't anyone else that understood. Just mm-hmm. Seriously, like at every level, like I was, I was going into, people wanted me to consult. And when I talked to them about what we're doing, they were just like, I don't get this, this doesn't make any sense. And, and so I knew that no one else would be able to replicate what we were doing, not literally, not anyone else. So, and so that's proven to be true. Um, you know, we sold over 10,000 records on the second album and on their mm-hmm. third album, they didn't even sell 400 records at the end of last year. So wow. there's, a, there's a huge drop in their momentum and they've lost their base because they, they stopped doing what we were doing. They stopped that connection. They stopped having all of the things that, that were going on. And so mm-hmm. it's um, really, it was a difficult moment for, a few hours and then I was like okay I'm free to I'm free to move on I'm, I'm not sure exactly what my next step will be but I'm going to not let this stop me and I'm going to actually use this as a way of making an even bigger impact and, and accelerating my vision to become mm-hmm. a reality and so mm-hmm. you know immediately I got here and very quickly I decided to write a book of the story of a baker coming into the music industry and and my mm-hmm. journey and, and I, I called it Zero to Record Breaker. Um, you know, kind of like a, a pun on breaking the music industry, but also the fact that we went from zero, no fans, to selling 10,000 tickets in London. Um, yeah. in, in, a genre that, in a genre that's traditionally quite slow build. Mm-hmm. You know, normally, you know, yourself in alternative rock, you know, if you were playing to 500 people after two years, that would be a pretty good job in London. It certainly would. So for anybody that's, because um, obviously we keep hearing this at the moment, it's direct fan marketing, you know, direct marketing. What does it mean for someone, for, for those that don't don't know, don't quite understand what it is, could you explain it um, and how they could perhaps start to adopt these principles and these ways of marketing their music direct, direct to their fans? Yeah, it's, for me, it's really about going in deep into building a connection with other individuals. You know, humans love to, we love to connect with one another and we're in a, we're in a very digital world. And so if you go 
if you're prepared to go in deep and and create the relationship and and really also make the audience that you're connecting with feel that you really care and that you're you're not just you're not just um making the art for ego purposes you're making the art to serve them and make them feel that they are make them feel that they are um they are they are there to receive the art to benefit from the art and so and to benefit from to benefit from um the artistry and and to to view for artists to view themselves is being very privileged to actually be bold enough to be an artist in the first place and that and that they can they can really inspire their audience to be bold themselves and to unlock the artists within um you know i really i really believe that we're all artists like we're, we're all creative beings and so we can all make art so um i think that also understanding that it's about building our own marketplaces so it's about you know it, if you have one super fan that really loves them, your marketplace has one or one person. And so if you look at it that way, it's like day by day, if you keep on building, you know, day by day, you keep adding more and more audience into your marketplace that actually really cares about you. Before you know it, you can have a base that is starting to want to support you at all different levels. And that could be simply sharing your content or it could be um, streaming your music. It could be buying a piece of merchandise, it could be buying a ticket. It could be participating in some type of experience or whatever it is you're going to offer them. But ultimately, the more the more people you have that are actually um, caring about you more than anything else, the more the, the more you will start to build momentum. And so the reality is that we're in a world that this is not difficult to do. You can create the connection very easily. You can use social media to um, find the audience for you. You can use advertising to scale. Yeah. And so it, it's... It's, it's about taking those steps and it's also about not getting lost in all of the the noise of what goes on in the in the industry because there's so much going on that um, you you can get very sidetracked for what really matters and what really matters is building the relationship with audience that's the thing that matters more than anything else and it's your audience that are actually you know a lot of artists they get concerned about trying to get a label or a manager or all of these things but ultimately it's, it's, it's building the audience. They're the, they're the people that are going to determine your success. Mm. And if you build that audience and you connect with them and serve them, then you then you will be successful. You will be able to build a business and you will be able to start to scale. And it's if, true. Yeah, I think you need to have that foundation in place. I think people think that this label is going to come along and, and wave a magic wand and suddenly they have this ready-made audience and and maybe they can. And but then the minute they're gone, it disappears. So it's definitely, you've got to do it yourself, really. You know, the industry has been evolving, but I, I don't see like the new music industry that's happening right now as being that progressive. The reality is that um, it's, still, it's still got deep fragmentation. There's still a lot of division between the different income streams and that doesn't work because you can't create a very joined up holistic plan. If everyone's taking different chunks of your business, even if it's they're getting less of a percentage, ultimately you can't create that joined up plan because you know an artist an artist is has got many things that are a part of what they can offer to the audience. And if if there's division between their business, they can't create that joined up plan. They can't be dynamic, they can't be fast, they can't be all the things you need to be in the in the world that we're in. Mm -hmm. And so you've got a lot of parties that are, are building in the kind of distribution and things like this, but you know, as we've seen with 
AWOL being purchased re- just the last mm-hmm. week from Sony. Yeah. You know? And look, I know Willard and he, I know that he's not, he will not be happy about selling to AWOL, but he, he was in a position where he, mm-hmm. the only direction that he um, could go was to get VC investment and, and to take that, take that uh, money to get going. And so if you do that, this is always going to happen to you, but he is anti-major. You, know, you can find many interviews of him talking about mm-hmm. the system and how screwed up it is and how the majors, they don't know what they're doing and all of these things. And now he's just sold his company to a major record label. Yeah. And they're meant to be pioneering and, and trailblazing independent music. But the reality is that if you only have a very small slice of that pie, you don't have enough skin mm. in the game across yeah. the entire business to actually be able to go in deep and actually serve artists at the level you need to. And so artists, yes, they need to get going by themselves, but if they really want to make an impact, they do need partners, but it has to be the right framework in order to actually make it work. Because the reality is that there's a lot to be done. There's a lot to be done just with with making your art and recording and connecting with your audience and performing. There's a lot, that's a lot. Let alone trying to think about the marketing strategy, the strategic planning, the how you scale, how you keep the momentum when you've got momentum, all these things, there's so much involved. So, um, you know, I see the the big opportunity around creating infrastructure that allows artists to actually plug in in a fair and ethical way and transparent in a way that allows them to actually do what they're good at doing, but also have all of the support they need on the business side to actually get them in front of more and more people and scale and, and have the, the framework that allows them to thrive without being screwed along the way, because that's, that's unfortunately the way that it is out there right now. Yeah, no, exactly. You hit the nail on the head there. Um, so we'll wrap up here because obviously you're going to be speaking at our summit on Friday the 26th, which we're really excited about. Yes. Um, can you just give us a little insight into, obviously your, the, the panel you're on is looking at creative ways on how artists might be connecting with their fans during this time. Um, can you just give us a little sort of inkling as to what you'll be talking about during that, that panel? Yeah, look, I think we're... We're in a very interesting time currently with the pandemic, um, really affecting everyone in the entire world. The, the, the playing field has been leveled, really. Um, and I, re- I really feel that the opportunity is insane to, to build an audience online that you know, everyone, is fri- everyone is looking for connection right now more than ever because of what's going on. And so the opportunity that artists have to build a connection, create an audience online that when we do get back to some normality, and we don't know how long that's going to be, there's lots of twists and turns coming, I'm sure, with the virus, mutations, and all of these things that are happening. So we don't know when live is coming back as we know it, but there is there are ways to build an audience online that will allow you to create a very deep connection so that when we do come back and we have that normality again, you'll be able to play bigger shows than you ever imagined, and you'll, you'll be able to perform at a level that you never imagined. And so it's the big opportunity for artists is to to really go deep in building that online base to allow themselves to create a situation where, you know, I really believe the artists that go deep in these times and build that relationship are the ones that will be playing the biggest venues when we come back to normality. And the artists that are not, they're going to decline very, very quickly. And a lot of the traditional artists, they don't know how to, they don't know how to react in this situation. So for, for the new artists that are coming through and independent artists, they have a huge opportunity to, to connect very deeply and get themselves set for 
amazing times ahead. So I think that will be a, a, be a deep theme within the discussion when we get into this at the summit. Yeah. We're looking forward to yeah. it. I see exactly the same. I think there's so much opportunity during this pandemic um, as a smaller independent emergent artist. Um, and I think you're, you're definitely the, the strength being that you're more agile than some of the bigger traditional artists that have always sold out this huge stadium um, gigs and things like that. So now is the time to get really creative and there's so many things that you can do and we'll, we'll discuss that on the summit. But um, just wrapping up, I just want to thank you so much for, for this chat. I, I think we could probably go on for another couple of hours. I've got, I haven't even touched on half my questions. No, so we, definitely, we, definitely, we definitely could be. So but... I think maybe we'll get you back for another, for another chat. Yeah, I really, I mean, I really look forward to I, I, I certainly admire you, admired you so far so I really look forward to what's next for you and um, I think you've got a, a massive um, fan base of people and, and champions of, of everything you do and I think I just wish there was more people like you in the industry that have the same passion and ethos and mindset um, for the artist and, and I love the fact that it's all about you giving the tools to the artists to be able to do it themselves, and that is huge for us. Yeah, um, look, it's been it's been a pleasure to come on to your podcast. Um, thank you. I'm looking forward to being involved in the summit. Um, and yeah, look, I think that you guys are doing amazing work. And uh, yeah, let's let's uh, let's kick on. You've been listening to Liberty Music PR's podcast with myself, the co-founder, Be Adamic. For more information about any of the topics mentioned in this episode, please reach out to me personally or via any of our social media channels at Liberty Music PR. Liberty Music PR is a global agency offering independent playlisting, distribution, creative partnerships and digital publicity. If you're interested in working with us to promote your music, feel free to get in touch today.